Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Greg Miller. I'm a senior editor with FreightWaves and American Shipper. Uh, and today I am here with John Monroe of John Monroe Consulting, someone who knows a lot about what's going on in the supply chain right now. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Greg. Really appreciate it. Yeah, so today, John and I are going to talk about uh, how maritime is affecting uh, the domestic supply chain from the ports on inland. Uh, and obviously, this year, the effect is tremendous. Uh, but before we do that, uh, John, just tell everyone a little bit about what you do. Um, well, I I left the corporate world in 1998 and set up John Monroe Consulting, and I've worked with a, a lot of different kinds of companies um, uh, from shippers, General Electric, Panasonic, um, to freight forwarders and NVOCCs, uh, Top Ocean. Uh, I came out of the carrier side and then uh, ran a couple global NVOCCs. And now I just help companies uh, basically focus on China to US, Asia to US. I currently represent um, uh, two China-based companies, one a large NVOCC, one a carrier, uh, as, as well as have a tech platform uh, where companies uh, book online uh, in China factories. Okay, so let's let's start with the ports, uh, and let's start with the big one, Los Angeles, Long Beach. And before we talk about what's happening on land, uh, let's look at what's happening offshore. There's this uh, incredible queue of container ships that has been building throughout the year. Uh, it was just yesterday I was reading an article uh, on CNN Business that said that the number of ships waiting off LALB had dropped from 80 all the way down to 30. So the port congestion, port congestion issue was being resolved. And of course, that's not true at all. What's happened is there's a new queuing system uh, for safety and air quality reasons, pushing the ships further offshore. Uh, you know, just to date this conversation, we're speaking on Friday, December 10th. And I looked uh, last night at the queue and it was up to 97 ships, an all-time high. So it's not decreasing at all. The ships there are waiting for weeks on end, sometimes months. And so my first question would be, what do you see happening? Before we talk about the terminals, what, what has happened? Why has this queue gotten so large and why is it so large? And what does it mean to shippers who are having to wait so many extra weeks? Well, as you know, Greg, I've been tracking this uh, since March of 2020 with my weekly update. And this queue of ships is not slowing down. Um, all that's happened is they've changed the process for uh, applying for birth space um, and moved many of the vessels 50 to 150 miles offshore. So really all they're talking about when they talk about it's down to 37 or 40 is what's specifically at anchor. And, and in addition to the anchorage, uh, there's what they call a drift. And that means the carriers or the vessels are out there on their own, um, uh, far enough out that nobody can see them, but they're still there. And then when they finally uh, get to the berth, uh, you know, if you think about how long it takes now to turn a ship around uh, versus how long uh, it took to turn the ship around uh, at those berths pre-COVID, how has that changed? And, and if the time has increased, why has it increased? Well, you know, the, the, the delays are um, uh, quite uh, quite heavy, quite large, uh, quite long. Um, you know, what has happened is is the, the terminal space is, is really the big issue. But um, when, a, when a vessel comes in, it's not only looking at finding a berth, but it's also looking at the labor. And as you can imagine, with basically 100 vessels out there, um, we've got 
12 terminals that can accommodate approximately 28 vessels. Uh, and, and with the yard space, which is basically um, totally congested uh, when a vessel discharges, uh, depending upon the terminal, somewhere between 20 and 80% of those containers move into closed lanes until they can find space to move them to where they can be picked up. So it's, it's become a real problem in terms of congestion. And you have uh, empty containers competing with full loads for uh, terminal space. And so when that happens, the, the terminal slows down its productivity, its movement, its picks in terms of unloading the vessel. It has no place to put it. So it, it's, it's become quite a problem in terms of productivity of the terminal as well as uh, uh, simply the number of ships getting a berth. So when you look at the waiting time, it, it can be uh, one to two to three weeks waiting for a berth. And then once you get on that berth, if you, if you have a large vessel that worked in four to five days, uh, you know, it probably takes eight to 12 days. And so you're, you're really extending that supply chain time or transit, if you will. Uh, and, and the problem right now, if you can imagine 100 vessels are sitting here, you've got to ask yourself, well, if I'm booking in China, where's my vessel that is supposed to arrive in Shanghai or Ningbo? Uh, if it's still sitting here waiting for a berth, then it's not showing up there. So we've got this massive imbalance of, of containers, of, of vessels. Uh, and of course, uh, that creates problems for your empty returns, for your moving laden boxes off the, the terminal. So it's, it's really become as bad as it's ever been, uh, in spite of the fact that a lot of people are, uh, are, are becoming more optimistic about it. I would say this is going to last for quite some time. Yeah, so you were you you go to the ports often, and you were just there. Uh, you know, uh, so your impression of what you just saw was uh, you're seeing it basically uh, as bad as it's been. And you wrote about this in your in your uh, last newsletter about the, the the problem of generous free time. Um, how 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 important is that an issue to where things stand right now? Well, you know, you, you have, you know, typically in your contracts uh, negotiations, uh, you know, it's been traditional. I used to be responsible for a carrier's contract negotiations for the U.S. retail trade years ago. Um, it's been pretty typical that the, the large volume importers get 10 to 14 days free time. And, you know, it's, it's now coming home to, to be a problem, uh, you know, be, with containers that are out for 10 to 14 days, uh, they're sitting on chassis. And uh, many, many times the importers are keeping them out for 15 or 20 days. And they're using those containers as basically uh, a part of their warehouse, an extension of their warehouse. And, and what that means is those empties are not coming back, but those empties are sitting on chassis. And uh, right now, one of the issues that we've got uh, is that Many of these companies, because of what the what happened with the railroad and the congestion at the railroad, have moved their uh, their operations to West Coast Transload. So, when you think about a West Coast Transload, you now have containers coming off that are not going on a on a, um, a the railroad, and and they're stopping at the port, creating more congestion. The Transload warehouses are full from basically L.A. Long Beach all the way up to Seattle Tacoma, and so. Those containers that should have gone on the rail um, are going nowhere. And, and so it's adding to the congestion in the terminals. 
Now, uh, this has obviously become a very political issue. Um, and uh, the ports came out with an, an audacious on paper plan. Uh, it announced on October 25th with the backing of the Biden administration port envoy, uh, where the plan was to begin charging or threaten to begin charging $100 uh, per, contain- per container for long dwelling containers, starting six or more days uh, for rail containers and nine more days uh, for containers moving by truck. And the idea was perhaps that this would get people's attention and push along uh, those containers that had um, uh, generous free time. Um, so that was originally scheduled to begin on November 1st, and it was pushed back to November 15th. Uh, and then after that to the 22nd, because they said there was a significant decrease in the percentage of long-dwelling containers, and then it was pushed off the next week, and then it was pushed off the next week, and then it was pushed off the next week. And I don't know what's going to happen uh, the Monday after we speak, but I was looking at the percentage declines in the dwell, uh, long-dwelling containers at the two ports, and it looks like that was very front-loaded into the beginning of November where you get – where it's accurate to say, okay, the number of containers has decreased 30 percent or 50 percent, but it's only compared to the end of October, beginning of November. If you look at the last couple of weeks, it's actually flatlined. So what I was – I'm wondering what, about your opinion is, is how does this end? I mean, do they, do they, uh, uh, do they actually – uh, ever uh, levy the fee, or how do they how do they quietly get out of this? Uh, what do you think is going to happen here? Well, you have two issues uh, there. You know, one is what is really happening. Um, yes, we did get a a decrease of long dwelling containers, um, but you know, as you can see from the ships, um, they're backed up almost a hundred vessels, and uh, um, that means more containers coming in, which will become long dwelling containers, particularly containers in closed lanes. I think the real issue here on that is how are you going to manage such a charge? So so let me give you an example. You know, as, as I stated earlier, a vessel discharged and it puts containers into closed lanes. Uh, in some cases, those containers are sitting in closed lanes. When I say a closed lane, that means those containers are sitting in an area where they're unavailable to be picked up. So you cannot make an appointment to pick up those containers. You know, very often, and in many cases, those containers might be sitting in those closed lanes for as long as two or three weeks. So, so let's say we have a container that's sitting in a closed lane for three weeks, and they want to charge uh, for anything that's dwelled longer than nine days. Well, you got two issues with this. First of all, you can't measure it. Uh, you can, uh, none of the ports can measure it right now, and I don't think they've come out with a plan to measure it. So I've got this container that's been sitting there for 21 days in closed lanes, but I'm going to get a charge be- for anything over nine days. And, and you know, I've, I've talked to a, a lot of people about this. I don't see any measurement or way of measuring it or a KPI that will say, okay, we can, uh, we can discount this, this container until it actually is in a place where it can be picked up. So, so that's, that's the biggest issue that we have. And, you know, it's not that, you know, it's a bad idea. Although I think, you know, now imagine that container, um, $100 the first day, $200 the second. Um, all that will do, if they do implement it, and, and they could, it's going to create uh, the opportunity for a lot of companies to just abandon their containers uh, because the, the cost of it sitting where that couldn't be picked up is greater than the value of those goods. So, so it's, it's really, a, I, I believe, a dangerous proposition 
to have such a fee uh, actionable the way they've they've basically uh, implemented with no measurement, with no ability to measure. Okay, so let's move on from Los Angeles, Long Beach for a second. Say you're an importer and you're seeing uh, these huge queues, you're seeing the huge uh, uh, delays in getting uh, containers out of the terminal, you're seeing these risks of the fees. Uh, to what extent can you go around or, or Long Beach and go to other uh, ports in the United States? And to what extent are you seeing people actually do this? Well, it, 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 it's happening already. I mean, you have people going to the East Coast. You have, you know, I can't name specific companies, but I can tell you a company that's got huge facilities in, in the West Coast that normally calls LA Long Beach that moved to Houston and set up a transload center there. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying uh, anywhere but LA. And yet you still see this, this um, a long line of vessels coming in that are offloading in LA. But, you know, you're, you're seeing the East Coast be more of a, an opportunity. Let, let's face it, many of these big importers, uh, they, can deliver, they can deliver from anywhere because they have a, 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 a national network. So whether it be LA or uh, I think Savannah's too congested, but LA, Charleston, Norfolk, uh, Jacksonville, anywhere but Houston, uh, anywhere but uh, uh, the West Coast, I think is where a lot of people are looking at. And I think a lot of people will adjust their their network this year as they as they look at their negotiations and try and put more of their their facilities or more of their containers outside of where they normally go in Southern California. And then moving on to uh, inland transport, uh, rail versus trucking. And the mix uh, that that imports used pre-COVID, uh, and then compare that to what's going on today with all the things that are going on at the ports. How much has the mix changed between rail and trucking? Well, I, I mean, I, I think about two or three months ago, uh, carriers started limiting and not accepting IPI. I mean, I, I think everybody heard about the BNSF and UP. They got so congested uh, in places like Chicago and Minneapolis that they stopped accepting. Um, they, they stopped moving cargo from uh, the West Coast into those locations. I think I tracked uh, one customer um, that had quite a few containers going to Minneapolis and the transit from Seattle to Minneapolis was 100 days. And, and if you can imagine that, um, if, if that's the case, you're, you're definitely going to limit what you're moving on the rail. And in that case, uh, the entire train had been sidetracked in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, so you, you've had a struggle all throughout the ch- supply chain. No doubt uh, what's happened on the international side and what we've seen with the vessels coming in has impacted the domestic distribution side. Um, more people are moving out of L.A. and Southern California, even though it doesn't look like it from the number of ships. Um, you see that congestion in the ports moving south and, and east. And, of course, it's, it's also moved north. Um, you know, because Seattle, Vancouver, I think there's 60, 60 vessels or thereabouts waiting outside of Vancouver, Canada. Um, and of course, that's an entry point for a lot of IPI cargo. Um, and of course, they've had floods. Uh, they've had track washouts. So, you know, it's, it's almost like what we've seen in 2021. It's been the perfect storm. I mean, we've we've had everything that could go wrong, go wrong from the ever given to, you know, China's zero tolerance policy with COVID and what happened in Yantian, the shutdown there. Um, you know, we've had the buildup in Southern California. We've had the congestion move other places. 
like Savannah, uh, as, as well as inland to the railroads. So it, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, you've experienced a lot of pain on this supply chain. And, and I would say in the fourth quarter of 2021, every CEO and CFO in North America woke up to the fact that their product was six to eight weeks late and it was costing them five to six times as much. And, and that's where we stand today. We, we've got a new normal that we, we haven't understood and we still don't understand because we don't know when it's going to end. And, you know, everything I read and see, and of course, everything I see um, in China and elsewhere leads me to believe that this is definitely going to take place uh, through most of 2022. And then we we haven't talked about exports, but there's been a huge problem on the export side with the containers, because obviously it makes more sense from a profitability point of view for the carriers to get those empties back to Asia, stuff them with imports and get them back this way, uh, than bring uh, the exports over. Uh, so uh, just finally on on the exports, um, what are you seeing about the availability of containers for empties now? And this is this is a, an issue that's been going on for quite some time. Has it changed at all? And then secondarily, you know, what are the what, what sort of problems are people like the exporters facing dealing with LALB? It's, it's, it's a big problem. It's you know, the carriers right now are trying to get their equipment back. Um, you know, the. The eastbound or the imports from Asia, you know, typically has been about a 2.5 to 1 ratio in favor of imports to exports. Um, and, and the carriers have typically um, had exports to really sort of offset their costs. Uh, it's never really been a high paying um, uh, revenue item in terms of the export containers. You know, however, now what you're looking at is you're looking at your import rates being, you know, 8 to 12 to as, as high as twenty thousand uh, dollars to the east coast, I know companies have paid as much as thirty thousand dollars. Even though that's that that that's sort of uh, it's it's gone down a bit. Um, you know, we're we're, we're looking at uh, hopefully a stabilization, but I think we're in the calm before the storm. Um, and so, you know, what is happening is everybody's moving empties back. The the carriers are putting empties back on the vessel, and 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 so it, they don't. You know, similar to the free time issue, it's it's a matter of not wanting those boxes to stay out for a, a length of time, and they want to get them back as quickly as possible. So it's impacting the import trade or the export trade, and um, uh, that imbalance, I think, under COVID, has has increased to about four to one. So on your imports to exports, it's it's been closer to four to one to, than than two to one. Well, just so much going on. Uh, it's it's great to talk to you. It's great to talk to someone who's uh, dealing with these issues firsthand. Uh, if anyone wants to reach out to you, uh, how can they get in touch? Well, they, they can uh, send an email to John. That's J-O-N at John Monroe or at John Monroe dot com. That's J-O-N at J-O-N-M-O-N-R-O-E dot com. And if they want to subscribe to my weekly update, it's free. Uh, and that's where you can reach me. All right. Well, thank you again for taking the time. Thank you, Greg.